0: All of the stories that came back were all based around where this anxiety has come from and why it had manifested right now in that point in my life.
1: You're listening to The Ghost Files, the podcast where everyday people share their extraordinary experiences of the spirit world. My name is Karina Machado. I'm a journalist who spent more than a decade telling stories about the spirit world through my books, Spirit Sisters, Where Spirits Dwell and Love Never Dies, as well as my podcasts, Spirit Sisters, and now this show, The Ghost Files. From at least the age of four, my guest, Tegan Vandenberg, has been close to the spirit world. As a little girl, she could accurately predict events that would befall those around her, and has always been able to sense and see spirit people, both in her dreams and waking life. These gifts followed Tegan into her adult years, Tegan has also always felt drawn to the topic of past lives and has a deeply felt affinity with medieval times in particular. Yet, despite her fascination with the idea, she didn't take steps to delve deeper until May 2019, when a challenging time in her life prompted her to seek a past life regression. You'll be astounded when you hear what happened next. Hi Tegan, welcome to The Ghost Files. Thank you for having me. Now, let's start with you telling the listeners a little about yourself and your life today.
0: So I'm a a single mum. I have two little people. They're 10 and 8. I live in Brisbane. My job is as a, a trained teacher, but I work in a different field to do with health at the moment.
1: One of the things that I found really interesting about you, and there's plenty of things to find interesting about you, but one of them was that people do a double take when they find out that you have a keen interest in spirituality. Why do you think that is?
0: I think it's just mostly because I am quite logical and structured in different ways. I my job role is very kind of by the book. I follow a lot of rules and regulations. So I guess spirituality kind of feels a little bit outside of that kind of structure. And, and sometimes it's a little bit hard to kind of put side by side, I think.
1: Mm. Tegan, tell us about your childhood years and the spirits that you were sensing and the premonitions that you were having as a little girl.
0: I think it's just one of those things when you were growing up that you that I didn't realize that it was... Something that other people didn 't do, I just thought that it was normal, so I would kind of just see things out the corner of my eye, oh, maybe know things before other people would know them, have dreams, I have a lot of dreams that are very premon- have a lot of premonitions in them, mm. but I just thought that that was a, a me thing, and it wasn 't really anything that our family kind of discussed, so it it wasn 't really anything that I kind of thought to share.
1: Can you give us an example of? Either a, a dream that was a premonition, or a spirit that you saw, or indeed both.
0: I guess I can I can remember a time when we were younger, and I was quite close to my grandmother, my mum's mum, and um, she had a. They've got a very large family of of you know lots of people, and I can remember being in the room and saying to her later after a family gathering, oh, do you know Annie, so-and-so that was there? And she was like, no, she, she wasn't there. She passed away a long time ago. But it was just kind of like, all right, well, that happened. We'll just move on.
1: Yeah, and it's often like that. So so t- just to break that down a little bit, so that was a big family gathering and you saw yeah. a person there that to your eye looked like a, a flesh and blood person but was actually a spirit person, an ancestor.
0: Yeah, family member, yeah, and, and they kind of weren't really involved in the in family gathering. It was just kind of someone that was off to the side. And, you know, as an adult, I look back and think maybe I just saw them out of the corner of my eye and then I looked away, but maybe it was just something about them that made me take more notice of them, if that makes sense. And, and yeah, when I checked with my grandmother later on, she was like, oh, that sounds like, you know, Aunty so-and-so. And um, when we had a photo, it was like, oh yeah, that was who I saw.
1: Wow. And how old were you when that happened? Oh, probably about,
0: I'd say about 10.
1: Okay. I reckon. But as you say, like you just took this as a matter of course, you thought that everybody had these kinds of experiences.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and I didn't really kind of chat to any friends about that sort of thing because I just thought that they did it as well. So it was kind of not really anything that was a conversation of, oh, have you seen, you know, have you seen um, a spirit lately? It wasn't really (laughs) anything that I chatted about. So... Yeah, I just thought it was something that was normal.
1: And I think you were around that age when you were assigned a project about medieval times. Is that right? Yes,
0: correct.
1: Now, this triggered something in you. Tell us about what happened.
0: Um, We were just doing like a research article um, about, you know, medieval times and, and as a class and I remember doing lots of research and kind of getting very engrossed into it, much more than my peers were and in amongst the research I came across something in particular that sparked my interest and I and I remember at the time thinking oh that's not what that was used for I think it was like a cart or a you know a a tool or, or something like that and it had it down as being a particular thing but I can remember thinking that's not what that was for that's used for something else but at the time it was just kind of a thought and then I tucked that away in in the back of my mind but it never really sat with me right but it's always been something that was in the back of my mind,
1: that's amazing for you know a grade four child to go into that kind of depth and then to have that thought, where would such a thought come from? How could you possibly have that knowledge that that cart wasn't what you were reading about, wasn't used for what you were reading about?
0: Oh, I think that's and that's kind of what really sparked a deep interest in me in, in terms of how would I know that. What kind of knowledge would I have had before in order to kind of have that knowledge about that now, or even think that was a thing? So I, I think that really sparked in me uh, an interest around where did we come from, and where where are we going, and and where are we who we are, and what's our history and are we just people or are we spirits or, you know, and where does that kind of a relationship between our current person now and our and our previous spirit, I guess, come from?
1: Yeah, and they're all very profound questions for a little girl to be mulling over, you know. But it's interesting because a lot of children are around that age, around, you know, early, mid-primary school when they begin to have those questions or that, those, and certainly that was the case with me as well, so There there must be something, some sort of threshold at that age. It's fascinating. So as you say, you you had that experience where your, you know, an interest in medieval times was triggered by this project, but you sort of buried it, didn't you? Or you just went on with with your, you know, childhood life?
0: Oh, it was just something that was kind of tucked in the back of my Mm. mind, I think, as time went on. I have lots of notebooks from when I was a teenager where I've done lots of research in uh, reincarnation and other spiritual things, I guess, like um, spontaneous human combustion and 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 other kind of interesting, not so typical topics for, I say, fifteen year olds to kind of research. But that's always been in the back of my mind, and it's always just been something that's tucked away.
1: Yes. And did you come to any conclusions as a teenager? Was there anything? Did it give you comfort? Did anything that you uncovered, you know, answer your questions?
0: I think I just like accepted the knowledge that, yeah, you know, potentially there was that something there before, but as a person who I was, I didn't have any proof of that or where I had come from. Um, and so for me, it was kind of like, oh, you know, that's great. We must've come from somewhere. There must be, something that we're working towards in this lifetime but I think at that age group you're just trying to get through like you're just yes. plodding through the hormones you're just trying to get to be you know finish uni and and get out into the workforce so
1: absolutely it, yeah
0: yeah so it just kind of got put to the back of my mind I guess
1: in May of last year, you were able to finally shed some light on on this profound connection that you felt to this era, this particular era of the medieval times. Tell mm-hmm. us, please, Tegan, what led to your decision to have a past life regression?
0: So I had a pretty hectic breakup. We were only really together for about 18 months, but it was kind of a really hot burn type relationship and it, um, it fell apart and I went from being very logical and very, you know... Um, Okay about the world and to having uh, being diagnosed with anxiety depression um, I was on medication it was all really hectic and I was really struggling with just waking up and getting on with life and at that point I think I sat down with one of my friends and said oh I can't I can't just keep keep taking medication I need to kind of work out why exactly is this happening you know why am I feeling like this and Maybe this is trying to teach me something and maybe this is breaking me down as a person in order to rebuild it, but I need to kind of start to investigate that and not wait for it to come to me. So at that point, I decided that, I would try a past life regression. It had been something on my list because of everything that I had researched when I was younger, but it just felt like right then was the right time to go and do it.
1: Mm. How did you go about finding the right person? Because you'd never done this before. So was that difficult, that process?
0: I think it was exactly the same as waiting for it to happen. I, I did a bit of research. I waited for that to sit with me for a while. I kind of really kind of waited till I felt like I'd found the right person, I was looking for someone who had experience, who had been doing it for a while, who had some proven, um, not just like local experience, but, you know, on a bigger scale, just Yeah. so I felt like I wasn't going to someone in a backyard, you know, who was practicing and, and hoping for the best.
1: Yes, yes. Okay. Now, when you found this person, you mentioned that they warned you not to expect Too much, or expect indeed anything, but you you, again you proved them proved them wrong there. But tell us about that. What they said to you?
0: Yeah, she she said, look, lots of people come and and try and do um, past life regressions, but a lot of the time you you really only get one, if anything, and sometimes people don't get anything at all. It really just depends on how open your mind is and how easy you are to kind of how that kind of comes to. Uh, fruitation I guess during the the session itself but she's like it's obviously it's an unpredictable uh, it's an unpredictable I guess method (laughs) yes when you're working with someone's mind it's not like you're working with numbers and it's not always going to have the same result every single time
1: yeah of course because they say that some people are are good candidates for regression and others not so good so you just went with an open mind
0: I did. I was like, well, if we get nothing, we get nothing. And if we get something, we get something. So that's great.
1: Okay. So tell us about what unfolded.
0: It was a very kind of unusual experience, I guess. How it felt was really different to something that I'd really kind of ever felt or let myself feel before. And I guess it felt a lot like somebody was just, like I was awake, but my brain was working, but at the same time I wasn't in control. It, it, and for someone who has a lot of control issues, which is me, this was something that was massively uh, unusual for me. So it took a little while to, to sit into it, but eventually, we, I did. And she managed to get out. Um, she managed to get out one very clear early life, and then she decided at that point that she would try because that one came so easily. Obviously like means she has the experience so she would know whether it comes easily or not um, to try some of the others so I ended up telling her that um, there was I think well under hypnosis that there was six lives in uh, in particular in this theme so um, the hypnosis in particular she you go in and you say look I really want an answer to this question and for me the question was why am I, you know, why am I feeling like this? Where, where, what is my purpose and, and how am I moving on from this anxiety? What's creating it? Um, and so all of the, the stories that came back were all based around where this anxiety has come from and why it had manifested right now in that point in my life.
1: So there was a definite theme with, so how many lives did you remember in, or did you reveal in that hypnosis session?
0: I said that there were six in total um, under hypnosis and four lives came out during the hypnosis.
1: So that's interesting. So you knew that there were six that related to the answer to the question that preceded the session, but only four, you you were only given four of them in terms of details. So tell us about those four.
0: So the first one that came through was the life of Mary. So under hypnosis, I say that her name is Mary, but then I say it's not Mary, it sounds like Mary. Um, and later on, it it felt a bit like Marriott or something that was a bit more Scottish, I guess. Mm. Um, but it came to me, I get some visions sometimes when I kind of let go. And so in the vision that I got, we were in a courtyard of a castle ground was muddy the lady asked me what I was wearing and I I gave a very detailed description of some rags some rat tattered um, leathery type materials some hide that were on my feet you know how busy the place was how noisy and smelly and I could you know the children rushing around and everybody else moving between spaces in that life in particular I described myself as a, a young female I said that I felt like I was forty, but I wasn't forty, but I just looked like it. So mm. and then later on went to say I was quite young.
1: What year I, are we talking, do you think?
0: Around the fourteen hundreds is is about the time frame. Okay. Um, that I got. Yeah. So I could describe my dress in like a, a beige thick coarse material that was very plain and, and heavy, an apron. And in the life, they, you know, it was, she, this lady asked me, you know, what was my job? And I said, my job was to cook. She said, tell us about your life. And I said, my life isn't important. My job is to cook. So, and I wow. just repeated that three or four times in amongst that discussion of that one. So, it really came down, you know, I described the sleeping space um, and I can still smell it now, the in straw and in like really? a, a stone alcove that was kind of underneath a set of stairs um, where I shared with lots of other people. And during the life, I guess what happened is she, she didn't have any family there and, and so she was alone in, in this castle and all her job was to cook. So nobody, she didn't really feel like anybody cared with her because she was dependent on I guess, the, the Lord of the Castle mm. sort of thing. And right at the end I said that she died alone on a straw bed that smelt ridiculously horrible, oh. um, alone, scared and hungry.
1: So, How old um, do you think she was when she died?
0: 26, 27, maybe
1: tops. Okay. So when you're remembering these lives and you're going to tell us about the others, are you in it? Are you in the life and re-experiencing it or are you sort of seeing it from a perspective above? No,
0: I really feel like I'm her. Okay. Um, so when I see it, I see it from her perspective and I can, um, I look down and I can look down at me. I'm not like a third party above.
1: Okay. Wow. And and so why did she die? Was she sick?
0: She had stomach pain and fevers and then died from a quick illness pretty much. So, who really knows at that time of the, the yes. thing, and and all I and all that came back to me was the stomach pains and the fever and how quick it was.
1: And then yeah. there were others.
0: Then she moved me forward to the next major life that she brought through, and and that was the life of Laura, who was a servant in a in a. Um, I want to say, like an American plain land, you know, like just two-story paddock little house on the prairie type environment. Yes, so, quite
1: quite isolated.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so, in in this in Laura's life, she was a servant, and she was left to stay back at the house um, and keep it while well, the the Martin, you know, the people that owned the house went away and did whatever they needed to do, and while she was waiting for them. They were longer than they said they were going to be, and there was a, a frost that came through that ruined all the 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 food. So she had no food left. The it all got ruined. So she had no food. It got really cold, and um and but she didn't want to leave the house. So in that in the re- recount of that, I. Kept saying that there was a um, a man on a horse that was coming to get me, and so I was basically paranoid about being murdered by people that were outside. Oh, so, so like looters,
1: leave. looters, or something like that. Thieves. And like
0: highwaymen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't want to leave the house and go and go to the next house to get help because I felt like if I did that, then I would be murdered, any anyway, or murdered and hurt or raped or whatever in that process but so I felt safer in the house, but then I didn't have food in the house. So in that life in particular, Laura died of starvation. I had a couple of dreams about this after I had this done, after I had the regression done.
1: Oh, really? Um,
0: Yeah, about Laura in particular. So I don't know why she came through so strongly, but I can picture lying on like the, the floorboards of the house where the the wind is coming up between the floorboards, you know, and those old ones where yes. they don't have anything underneath and it comes through. Whistling through, um, yeah. Yeah, and just being, you know, my hair being so long and straggly and my clothes basically being nothing because they've, you know, so destroyed and old. And um, and then, yeah, from starvation. Um, wow, that's so, – the- go on. I was, gonna, I was just going to say that I remember waking up from that thinking, oh my God, I need to go and get food. <laughs> I woke up in the middle of the night and like it was midnight snack because <laughs> I could just remember being so hungry. And of course, that's not me now, but that's, you know, that's the feeling.
1: So that what you described to us about lying on the floor, her starvation was what came to you in a, in a subsequent dream after the regression.
0: Yeah, I oh. could, I saw it happen in the regression, but I think when I had the dreams afterwards, it it took the feeling of it, like I had the to relive the feeling of the being alone and being scared and and being dependent on someone else and
1: yeah. Wow. So 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 far we've got two very sad endings um for Merritt yeah. and Laura. Yeah. And sadly that theme is continuing, but as you'll tell us later, that had something to reveal to you. But tell us about the third life that emerged in that hypnosis.
0: So the third life was the life of a man who was a relatively young man and who lived in colonised New South Wales. And in that particular life I was from the city and I had married somebody who I thought I could be happy with and whatnot, and we were given a parcel of land to go and colonise, that's the right word. Mm Mm-hmm. So I moved, we moved out, out and it was very isolated. There was no one else around and, and, you know, you're really starting, really felt like it was starting from scratch, you know, trying to make their own veggie patches and trying to survive without having, you know, the, the convenience of city life close by. But there was also like a the, the issue that they were, we were surrounded by um, in my dream natives is what I called them in my vision. But mm-hmm. um so uh, Aboriginal people and I described them as, you know, dark skin and painted and then on foot and they and they really, um, you know, obviously right now I can see that they were protecting their space and we, and we were kind of intruders on that. Yes. But at that point in time when we we were scared that we this was our land that we have been given by the state and, you know, we were doing this and I was scared to protect, you know, my wife and my house um, but that, was just like this isolated feeling, and nobody was happy because she wasn't happy and I wasn't happy. And um, and in the end, on the end of that life, I um, died protecting the wife and the house. Yeah, so um, that was that one. And <laughs> so,
1: okay, do you have any idea where in New South Wales that was?
0: Or oh, it just it just felt like big thick bush. Like I, I okay. felt like I wasn't that far from Sydney, but it was far enough that at that period of time, which I would have said was late 1800s, okay, um, that it felt like I was a mile away um, and just really, really isolated.
1: Yes. And sorry, we didn't mention earlier, but the life with Laura, the life as Laura, yes. that was also 1800s, wasn't it?
0: Oh, really early, like late 1700s, early 1800s. Okay.
1: Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So another sort of, you know, sad ending there. And what about the fourth life that came through?
0: So in the fourth one, I had a, the vision was around that I was a a lady that lived in, well, I think Europe somewhere, probably England or around there. And in that dream, I was a war widow. So I'd um, met my husband and gone on a boat to live with him and he'd gone off to war. I described in that vision, I described myself as having short curly hair as As being you know as having to wear this really thick, heavy jacket because of how cold it is, and when he goes off to war, he leaves me with five children mm. um and and in that vision i I had the names Margaret and Michael come to me, and they're names that are very familiar. I just like they're they're ones that kind of roll off their tongue for mm. me if that makes sense mm. and then that one he he left to go to war, and
1: do you know which war contact.
0: Tegan? Pretty sure it's World War Two. Okay. So, I had like the the vision of of the uniform in particular of what he was wearing, and there was a, a very prominent red patch that that was on there. Um, and I'm I'm fairly certain I tracked it down to be part of the uniform of well one of the uniforms of World War Two in that English area. So
1: okay, so you think he was an Englishman
0: potentially but I mean so there's a couple of uniforms that are very really similar to each other so I've, I've actually and and there's not really much distinguishing between them I know that 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 she lived in an English place because of the the stone um road like there was you know the, big the cobblestone stone road yeah yeah and the wall and the houses were kind of very similar I had a very similar um thing and I know that it's about that time because um, I really have quite an affinity with jazz music, which is really ah. odd because not a lot of people um, are real keen on jazz um, anymore, but jazz music actually makes me feel quite calm. So um, I, I actually think it's associated with her and, and that time frame that she, um, you know, lived in.
1: So, because that was after the war, when you were her, in, experiencing her, because she was a widow. Because there's more to that story.
0: Yeah, she he he went away to war and never came back. So she then spent the rest of her life looking as a as a widow and never really remarried or got or had any other partners, but raised the five children on her own, and eventually died of relatively old age of um, stomach issues. So right.
1: So stomach issues seem to be a little bit of a theme too, would you say? Because, yeah, because if we go the Scottish life, she died of, of, um, of stomach problems and then Laura in America died of starvation, which again Mm -hmm. is, you know, the digestive tract. I don't think you mentioned this, but you told me earlier that the Australian man died from a wound to the stomach. Is that right?
0: Yeah, with a spear, yeah.
1: Okay. And then we have the war widow. Remind us what happened there?
0: She she died of older age from a pain in her stomach. Okay. She um, passed away in hospital.
1: So what bearing does that have, that particular, you know, stomach thing on your life, do you think, your life today?
0: So I our family has celiac um, in their um i guess our our family history so i'm pretty sure i actually may fall also into that category but i've never actually been tested for it but i definitely have a lot of the symptoms that go with it
1: okay so that's one piece of the puzzle but how did you feel about coming out with so much information in the first session that you've ever had
0: I I did say to her, like, because I am a bit of a critic and I am a bit sceptical even about my own thoughts, how do I know that this isn't just a story that I've made up in my mind? Because, you know, sometimes you think that. You think, am I making a story up just to make somebody else happy? Yeah, yeah. Um, And she said to me, do you think you could come up with that much detail in such a short amount of time? And now the session was only maybe 45 minutes tops altogether. um so she's like do you think you could come up with that amount of detail in such a short amount of time on your own without any prompting and you know I went home and I thought about that and I tried to do it actually and and the answer was no no I couldn't make it up so you tried
1: so you went home and with a piece of paper and a pen you tried to come up with four stories or what did you do
0: Oh, yeah, I tried to. I tried to write four stories that were quite as detailed and, and as time appropriate and um, because there's things in there that even as someone who likes a bit of history and, and likes to know, I I had no idea about some of these things until I researched them afterwards and was like, yep, that, that is something that would have happened in that time frame, in that storyline, in that place.
1: So you did so, reveal things that you you had no knowledge of.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Like
1: like what? Will you give us an example?
0: Like particularly around the castle, just around the way that daily life works and I can't even think of anything particular but it it was around the – I think it was the shoes actually which was the first thing because when I talked about, you know, the shoes on their feet, I was like, oh, surely they would have used – you know, I can't even think what I thought. But, you know, when I did do the research and realised, no, actually – that was right, that what I thought it was wasn't what it was going to be at all.
1: So what, what were your shoes again? You, did you say leather?
0: They felt like a leather, but I had thought to myself, I would thought, well, why would, why would the staff wear like a leather shoe? Because that would have been quite expensive to make and things like that. But then when I researched it, I realised it would have been hide or it would have been another material that would have been much more easier to make.
1: Right, okay. So one of the fascinating things about this is that you told her about the four lives, as we've mentioned, but you indicated that there were six in this kind of cluster of lives that followed a certain theme. What do you think that theme is?
0: Um, the theme is around, um, is around uh, feeling alone and feeling dependent on people and, um, and, and feeling really, you know, sad about their control in their life
1: so the individual about the lack of control that they have over their own life is that what you mean yeah yeah
0: yeah because like in the castle you know obviously mary had was dependent on the on the you know the person that was in charge laura was dependent on her um her bosses obviously um even in the bush you know the the man was dependent on the state for giving him the, the land, you know, mm-hmm, he's kind mm-hmm. of forced to go and, and do this. And, and in the last one, I think she was very dependent on the fact that she didn't couldn't control her husband going away and not coming back. And she was left very dependent on the fact that she was now a single mother in an era that, you know, didn't really overly support that.
1: Mm, and you've mentioned being a single mother, and certainly that relates to your life today, but in what way do you think overall this theme of the loneliness uh, relates to you today tegan
0: um i think i've for me i've always um, I've always struggled to kind of keep people close and and I think I've always sought what I thought was love and what I thought was connections with other people to really find that perhaps my understanding of what love was is not really what it is if that makes sense and I and I think I've always thought that you know as a way to kind of make up for all of these places where I was alone where I didn't have that connection I was thinking that I was missing out on something that they didn't have um and, and I think that's what really made me anxious is that at that point in time, I felt like I was repeating that cycle, that I was feeling anxious and I was feeling sad about being alone and being scared about how was I going to do this on my own again and um, all of that sort of stuff.
1: Mm, so that came from their experiences. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And the day after your regression, you dreamt of the fifth life in the cluster.
0: Yeah, not too long afterwards, I, I had a I had a dream about um, another life, which uh, was so real and so vivid, and really stayed with me for a little while afterwards. And I wrote it down because it was just so intense. But and then I've connect, and that's made the connection for me to the another life in this story. But in that one, as a farm boy who. Fell in love with the maiden of the the you know the big manor house and and you know while we were together in secret there was nowhere to actually be together so um, we got caught and we got punished and separated and 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 died isolated I was kicked out of the manor in that way and I can you know picture us walking away from the house knowing that I was alone
1: mm. yeah. So we're back in England now for that one, the manor house? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, I think so. And probably looking at around the 1600 timeframe. Oh, okay.
1: Right. But, Tegan, am I correct in saying that you felt like you carried their pain and loneliness until you recalled the sixth life? Is that right?
0: Absolutely. So I had the five and I sat on them for about four or five months and I felt like I really wasn't. Getting anywhere with it, it didn't really feel like it was coming to fruition as about what I wanted to learn from that. So I decided I'd try something else, and I and I did some Reiki.
1: yeah So Reiki. you went. You went and it had published. a yeah Reiki. Yeah, you went and had a session. a Reiki session.
0: I did, I did have a session, and yep. the lovely lady that I went to see uses vibrational healing to do her session. And it was during this session that I. Um, had a vision and dreamt of the sixth one, which was um, a Middle Eastern man in the desert really with his camel just walking along, not really feeling like he was going anywhere, that anyone was looking for him. But he was just, you know, being and being very isolated and being very alone.
1: And he was on a journey.
0: Yeah, it felt like he was, you know, going somewhere, but he didn't really know where he was going. And the vision was really short in that one, but it was enough that when I when I was away, uh, came to after the session that I was like, oh, wow, that really, that was the sixth, that was it. Um, wow.
1: But you didn't see his death, did you?
0: No, I didn't. I didn't. Because it was just part of the session. I I, I wasn't actually the hypnist and I haven't had anything after that. So I don't know that it was a very important death, if that makes sense, yes. in terms of, finding that solution, but it was almost like the last piece of the puzzle that was slotted in.
1: Oh, wow. So how was it that recalling this sixth life as a Middle Eastern man and what era, do you have any idea what era he was in?
0: Uh, I, would, I would think he's somewhere between the 16th and the 1700s in there somewhere.
1: Okay. And... Why do you think recalling that vision of seeing him on the on the road well in the desert with his camel why was that the last piece of the puzzle
0: I I'm, I'm not really sure I've thought about this a lot but I think it was just about making the the picture complete and I felt like once I had the picture complete that I had all the I had all the information and then it was just about pulling that finding the bit in it that that I was supposed to learn from that um so I did a lot more meditation I did a lot more reflection I tried to do a lot more um time not being busy just trying to be and trying to be without the noise which is hard when you've got two children but (laughs) um you know I think it, it felt really important for me to kind of work out at the time and so I really focused on it
1: and do you feel as if in acknowledging these six lives that you've reconciled that theme of loneliness and that you've learnt the lessons you needed to learn?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I it's really it's really kind of interesting, but I, I think what the lesson for me in there was it was just about love. I mean, it, it feels like I should feel like I should go out and find someone else to be with, but it actually feels like the opposite. Um I think I've come to the conclusion that actually in all of these lives, even though I felt like I was alone, I was actually quite loved and I had a lot of love in my life. It was just that I was looking for that mysterious something that was going to come and sweep me away and solve all my problems and make me happy, um, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas for me, when I look and reflect Actually, there's, there is a lot of love and, you know, they all gave a lot of love and, you know, they were quite committed to the people and loyal to the people they loved. Um,
1: Which is an act but, of love, yeah, right, yeah. But you didn't absolutely. see it. Yeah, okay.
0: No, it was just very kind of, it was, you know, because they were so, it felt like they were so focused on, you know, I'm alone from people and they're alone from having that one person that's their romantic love, I guess.
1: So maybe seeing that sixth man that he's on the path, he's walking, you didn't see sort of an end to his journey, that might stand for you today and, you know, you continue on the path and you continue learning.
0: Yeah, and for me today, I, I it really comes down to the fact that I've had to step back from looking for another person to make me happy yeah I've really had to kind of look at the connections in my life and go well I have a lot of people that love me and I love a lot of people um and that's enough um if I have somebody else that comes along from a romantic sense then great that's that's you know wonderful but it doesn't actually take away from the other love that I have and I can't feel like I'm missing or that I'm alone because of that scenario
1: that's yeah, that's very profound and I think that will help a lot of people. And what about your anxiety and depression? How's that today?
0: Uh, as of the sixth life going, I actually has I wouldn't say it goes, because obviously mental health is something that you, you is is a constant, you know, to and froing of trying to find the right thing in the right scenario. But for me, at this particular point in time I can I've stopped my medication. Um, I, I've stopped needing to go to the psychologist and have appointments. I've, I've, I feel like I can function. Um, I, I feel way clearer than I did, you know, even 18 months ago before the relation that original relationship started. So, wow!
1: So that's how powerful this experience of remembering these these past lives has been for you, Tegan.
0: Absolutely. Wow. Yes.
1: Well, on that note, let's end with the question I ask all my guests on The Ghost Files. What can an encounter with the dead, and in your case it's with your past selves, <laughs> teach us about <laughs> living?
0: Um, that we're, we're more loved than we know and, um, and, and those people are around us and that it's in us and, um, and we, there's always more to what we're feeling than just what's happening right here, right now.
1: That's very valuable advice. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Tegan. spending time with us on The Ghost Files, sharing your story. It's much appreciated. No
0: worries. Thanks for having me. Thanks
1: so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Ghost Files. If you have a story that you'd like to share with me, I'd love to hear it. Please email me at karinamachado at optusnet.com.au. Thank you.